Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee, joined this week by Jim Heskett. Hello, that's me. Pip, who is currently preoccupied. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. And then we've got uh, Nick Thacker. What's up? It's me. Excellent, excellent. Pippa's like, uh, it's like she's underwater right now. Oh, she's gone. She's had enough of my shenanigans. Okay. But in any event, what's going on good this week, guys? Anybody got anything good to mention? She's buying better coffee. <laughs> That's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> You're going to have to use an AI voice for this uh, this episode, Pippa. Yeah. Can you type it in to the chat and we'll put it into like the text to talk? It's your inner Stephen Hawking. Pippa says, I am glad to be here. <laughs> uh oh. I don't know what's going on, but we'll see if that thing gets squared away for for our homie Pippa. And in the interim, why don't we get into the news? I like Jim's eyebrows of approval. That was loud. <laughs> was it? Let me turn it down a little bit. Just wants to make sure people know. Matter. That's the only time I'm going to use it, so it just doesn't really matter at this point. This is the news. Don't get it. Ba ba ba. Oh man. Okay. For the first story, I want to circle back to someone, and I thought that I wanted to really do this to keep us from any appearance. Of, of impropriety or, or getting sued, you know. The last time we talked about this story, I feel personally I had a difficult time saying allegedly all the times that you're supposed to say when someone mm. hasn't been convicted of a crime. To me, it, it was a foregone conclusion. And I want to rectify that a little bit right now. This story is going coming to us from The Guardian, and we previously spoke about Nancy Crampton Brophy, who was accused of killing her chef husband and had been sitting in jail since 2018 at that time it was allegedly now it's not allegedly she's been convicted apparently the evidence was too much to overlook (laughs) i don't even know where i'm going with this nancy brophy i guess she really did it guys huh guess so man she pulled it off yeah i just wrote it for her but i don't think her plan worked I just wrote in my notes about this story. Yeesh. You know, the moral here is careful what you post online because once you put something on the internet, it's there forever and ever. No matter how hard you try to delete it, it's always there. It's always yeah, going to find you. True. That's true. The uh, And for anyone who didn't listen to that story and is listening now, she was accused of killing her husband. She also wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband. So... Apparently, it's uh, future autobiographical. I don't know, but she knew where her life was going, you know, prophetic. There you go. That's a much easier word than future autobiographical. 
So that's really it for her. But I guess she's going to go to prison. We'll see how things go. You know what? I actually wanted to see last time. I want to say Nick had or uh, Nick or Jim had mentioned that her website was still running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, I looked her up and it was still going on. Is it still going now as well? Oh, I didn't check today. This was as of a check. couple weeks ago. I want to check today and see dot com, see if it's still open. But I can't get anything besides her murder trial. Okay. Mm. In any event, we'll let her go. But I think it's even more awesome if her website is still running because go daddy man once they start taking that money out of your card every year they're not gonna stop man murder or not so (laughs) (laughs) auto pay all right our next story is coming to us from publishers weekly and this is weird i don't know how much hope i have for somebody like me getting on this or my kinds of writing but it's from someone named jim milliot And it's Amazon starts a monthly book club. So if you were one of those people, fortunate people who got on something like Oprah's book club and you made a billion dollars off of it, maybe you got the same kind of chance here with this Amazon monthly book club. Are you guys going to be crossing your fingers, hoping that you're picked by uh, the person in charge of it is named Sarah Gelman? Anybody? Well, Pippa, you're here. You're new. You're new to this, this this specific podcast, right? It's good to see you. We're glad you're here. You still got the wrapping on you. <laughs> so what do you think about Amazon's monthly book club starting up? I think I should try to find an appropriate bribe for Sarah Gelman. So maybe do some social media stalking. <laughs> you know, you can, you can spend that $100 on one of the mailing lists, or you can just buy a nice bottle of bourbon and... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's elegantly savage of you. I really like that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Mr. Nick, what do you think about either the book club or Pippa's idea about bribery? I'm in for the bribery. I'd go halvesies on that bottle of bourbon. I I wonder if Sarah Gelman is a bourbon drinker, a partaker. That's why we need Um, to do the stocking first. She strikes me as maybe a wine person. Yeah, maybe we get her a nice bottle of wine. I like this idea. This it's just hard. We've talked about this in the show before where Amazon starts something new and then nobody ever talks about it. And then seven years later, they're like on stop the new thing we started. And we forgot that it was a thing because they never did anything with it. You know, and I'm just worried this is going to be the same sort of deal. It's interesting that they chose somebody. Sorry, Sarah, like nobody knows who she is. You know, these kind of things seem to work better when you've got some celebrity appeal, I would think. And I don't know that, I don't know. I just did, I don't know. Anyway, and then this also reeks of, you know, the New York Times style curation where it's like, I, I don't, I'm not saying Sarah's picking bad books, but I, I know that they're being chosen by her. I don't know. Maybe she probably doesn't read thrillers that like I write. So it seems a little impossible to ever be chosen for this book club thing. Okay. So I don't let me interrupt you. So I want to take bad w- back what I said bad about Sarah. Because I said that she's probably never going to pick one of my books or like something that I write, which still might be true. But it says that Amazon said that Sarah Selects will feature a range of authors and characters and will focus on Gelman's favorite genres, including fiction, romance, mystery, thriller, suspense, biography, memoir, and pop science. So maybe we got a chance. Jim, we have a chance, man. You write thrillers. Uh well, yeah, fiction is not a genre. So when when Amazon came out with these book clubs like 18 months ago, two years ago is when they announced them. 
and when they first came out with them, I polled my readers and the vast majority of them, of the ones who responded to the poll said either I'm not interested. I already have a book club. I don't want to do an online book club. So it seems, you know, just like Nick said, it's one of those things Amazon throws out there and see if it's going to stick to the fridge. And if not, whatever, you know, they only had a developer work on it for a week. So not that big of a deal lost time. But I think we need something like this for books, you know, because like TV gave way to the Internet. TV was a one way consumption model only. And TV gave way to the Internet, which is a two way consumption model. You know, you can interact with it in addition to consuming it. And books don't have anything like that right? We don't have a way to interact with books. You just consume them. So if there was a way to build in interaction and community like they have with the internet into books, that's probably the future of the future of the written word, probably. Okay. All right. Interesting stuff. So uh, if anybody knows Sarah Gelman, feel free to pass along our emails and uh, (laughs) maybe give us her address, not in a creepy way. We'll be forwarding along booze forthwith. So next story that we have here, this is about how to sell your books in libraries. And for the purposes of this, I'm going to assume that we're talking about actual paperbacks and not like the thing that you do where they borrow your ebook and all that junk comes to us from catapult.co. That's weird name, catapult.co. And it's from Carrie Sullivan, and it's titled, How Working with Libraries Can Help Sell Your Books. And in this article, a librarian shares a step-by-step guide on how writers can grow their audience and promote their books by pitching a talk to their local library and beyond. <clears throat> so while I let you guys digest that topic sentence, that thesis, if you will, I want to tell you my story about working with libraries and selling my paperbacks. Okay. In my town, there's one large main library and there's obviously the tributaries off of it. And so I thought, Hey, I got some books out, you know, I've sold a few copies. I got some decent reviews. Maybe I can get my books in this library. It'll be cool. So I email the librarian who's in charge of acquiring books. And he writes me back and tells me in no uncertain terms that unless I have a review by a trade organization, including Kirkus, they won't put my book in the library. I can learn something from this because I tried to explain to him that anyone can buy a Kirkus review and he didn't seem impressed with that. So (laughs) (laughs) he didn't seem impressed with that. So had my thesis reviewed by Kirkus. Exactly. That's the barrier to entry. So in any event, what do you guys think? Do you sell your books, your paperbacks and libraries, or did you get something from this article that you may want to try? Who's interested? Who's interested? I'm going to take Jim shaking his head no while he plays with his beard as a yes, and we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it, Mr. Jim. All right, all right. When I was reading this this article, I got down to the sentence that said, I wrote it down, was to say, if you have a book to promote, you've likely thought about partnering with stores for events. And I've never thought about partnering with a store for an event. So that tells me that this article is is really geared towards traditional published authors. It's, you know, all the things in here, these sound like great strategies for people who don't have access to ads, you know, 
because there's none of those things in there they describe are as useful as $5 a day on Facebook ads or Amazon, you know, like it's all this, you know, maybe you can give a presentation and you know, it's your local library. So how many people are going to show up? Three, four, is that worth your time to reach three or four people? Mm. I don't know. Mm. If you include the homeless guys that have moved into my local library, you might be up to a dozen or so. So here's my moral of the story is that if you're looking at spending all this time to get into a library, to do presentations at libraries, to do all this stuff, working with these librarians, if you really think about how many people you're going to reach, consider if you had spent that time instead building up an online platform and how many more people you could reach. You know, how many people can reach at your library? The number of people who go there. How many people can you reach on the internet? Eight billion. <laughs> That's my spiel. And probably a better targeted reader as well, Jim, I would yeah. guess, on the right. internet. So, yep. Mr. Thacker. You have data. You know, if you do something on the internet, they click an ad, you can find out who they are and what they're interested in and potentially get them on your mailing list. That doesn't really happen in person unless you specifically say, sign up for my mailing list and hope that they actually do. And then you gotta take the, the clipboard home and try to like, figure out what they, you know, their, their chicken scratch writing. You're like, well, that's an at symbol. I don't know anything on the left or right of that thing. So, also, you, know, then, you have to be there in person with people. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're authors. This is not where we shine. I think the problem I have with this is I'm thinking about, again, I'm going to overgeneralize a little bit, but the people who go to libraries aren't the people who go to bookstores. Yes, there's overlap, but the people who go find their next read, the library, this is the same people who are going to find their next read at Barnes & Noble. And, you know, I've been in both, so I guess there's some overlap, but generally speaking, you don't go to a library because you want to buy a book, right? You go to a library because you expect it to be free. So if I go to a library and I'm doing all these events, first of all, you better hope your book is in the library and they've got more than one dinky old copy that you put there three years ago, which is in and of itself a challenge because trying to get a print book into a library, God, th these gatekeepers are there. They think for a reason, but they're really just there because gatekeepers like to gatekeep. And that's the big, biggest problem I have with all this is that these put, people put themselves, the, all right, the guy that talked to you, literally just sounds like a power hungry troll to me and put himself in a position of power because he thinks there's some pretension involved in, in authorship that there doesn't, you know, doesn't actually need to be. So rant over, but I don't think this is a good idea at all. This isn't going to help you as an author. It's a waste of time. Pippa, bring us home about the library. This was an interesting thing because we started when we were first importing data into scribe count, we were seeing it would import each library sale as a different book title. Cause it had a library name coming in and then we had people contacting us and being like actually when I you know I used to work in sales and then when I became an author the royalties were far too variable so I just do about 60% of my sales to libraries like, I have a process this is what I do and so I'm gonna have to look up that name we can put it in the show notes but it was featured by Joanna Penn I want to say as well hmm. and so it sounds like it if you get a rhythm down to it, it could be a great way to sell some books, but I don't think doing it in person with lectures is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. That's all, that makes sense to me. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Libraries. What can you do? What can you do? All right. Let's go to story number four from my favorite name of any website that I look at regularly and it's bad redhead media. It's by Rachel Thompson. And this is do productivity hacks work? Yes. 
she claims, exclaims, <laughs> here are my top 10. This is a, a collection of tips that she uses to get more out of her author life. So what I want to do is I want to go through these and ask you guys if you have any stories or tips about the specific hacks, okay? Because we could just talk about the whole list, but maybe we would skip something that would be relevant. Because I'm trying to find ways to streamline my process at all times. So uh, the top 10 productivity hacks. Number one is hire an assistant. Okay, so have any of you guys hired an assistant to help you with your author duties? Everyone's aching their head. I'm the only one that hasn't. Are you all still currently using an assistant or has that fallen by the wayside? Everyone <laughs> is shaking their head no. What happened to this utopia? It's a lot of money and you have to act like it doesn't make things any easier in the short term. Okay. You like if you can establish a good relationship or over time and they know the sorts of things that you want done and they need minimal direction and all of this stuff. Like, great, wonderful, fantastic. But, and generally the people that are amazing author assistants are not going to stay as author assistants. They're going to go somewhere that they get benefits and like a really high salary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Money is important. I'm tracking. Mr. Jim, what, what's your take on this? I've never had a like a full-time assistant that was like my guy, but I have I've worked with VAs before on all kinds of different things over the years. This first one here, hire an assistant, it's great advice if you can one afford it. And two, Pippa said, if you're able, if you know how to manage that person. <laughs> and mm-hmm. three, if you know what you expect from that person. You know, because when you hire somebody, you have to give them a set of expectations. Like, I'm going to give you this much money and this is what I expect from you. And you need to be pretty laser clear on that. Otherwise, you're wasting money having them do things that you don't know if you're going to get a return on or not. So if you can meet those three criteria, I think hiring an assistant is amazing and would be great for your career. Okay. Okay. Jim or Jim. That was Jim. Thank you, Jim. Yes. Nick, (laughs) Nick, what you got for me, man? I mean, I sound like an asshole, but that's okay. What's on the internet stays on the internet. You know, here we go, future Nick. Sorry. <laughs> Look, I'm simply too fast at the stuff that I do well. Mm-hmm. And it's simply not worth my time to train somebody else to try to be even closely remotely as fast. Now, that is a broad brush. And I'm not saying I'm great at everything because I'm not. But the things that I really do well and the things that I need done typically are the same thing. Does that make sense? And so, you know, if I'm just talking about writing books, I've tried this. I just don't like the, the the generalization. If your time's worth 150 and you pay an assistant 50, there's clear profit. That's forgetting the whole idea that you have to train that assistant in the systems that you use or turn it over to an assistant who uses completely different systems that you need to learn how to use. But I don't believe in passing anything off to somebody that I, I couldn't at least do myself. You know, and I don't mean like I have to be a professional cover designer in order to hire a cover designer, but you should know what it takes to design a cover. You're just going to be better off that way. You should know, okay, Photoshop is involved. Here's how much work. You know, so try it yourself a little bit. I don't know. I'm getting off on a tangent. But for me, the point is simple. Uh, It's never as simple as if your time is worth 150 bucks an hour and you pay an assistant 50, there's clear profit because there's not clear profit. There's just not. I would probably fail as an assistant to anybody else but myself because I don't do things in, in this particular, I don't know, people, everybody has a different system is what I'm saying. So I don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of formed that. that I thought about it ahead of time and I never really got it to sound good enough, but. If you're looking at hiring an assistant because you have too much to do, the first thing to look at is if all of it actually needs to get done. Because a lot of the time it doesn't. And then from there, just be taking copious notes on what your processes are, what actually could be handed off. Get that idea down. And then once you know that, you'll have an idea of whether or not it makes any sense. I'm all for reducing mental load, but a lot of the time people are trying to get assistance so that they can do this crazy amount of work. And I absolutely have to have tweets going out every 15 minutes. You do not. Hmm. Not a thing. <laughs> right on. It's perfect. You know, Pippa, I was going to skip question number two, but what you said is just segueing me perfectly into it. Question number two is, what is your mission statement? Right? There, her opinion is, when I feel myself drifting or going down an unnecessary time-consuming activity, I kick myself in the pants by asking myself if the activity is working towards my goals. Not that free time isn't essential or crucial, but schedule it and yada, yada. And like you're saying, people who have too much to do, maybe they're doing stuff that they shouldn't. So let's get real kumbaya here, man. Do you guys have a mission statement? What does it say? What would your mission statement be if you made it up on the fly on a podcast with tens Sell of people books. watching. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Let's go to question number three. Did you guys hear that? Did you guys hear that? That was me dying on the air. Thank you. everyone. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Number three, let's assume that you don't have an assistant or a mission statement, you might need to plan your stuff and schedule it. So what are you guys using to schedule your life here? She's saying she's got a digital option or iPad stuff, whatever, good notes app. Do you guys have your entire life in something where you can see where you have to be and when you have to be there? And if so, what are you using for that? I use uh, emotion. You use emotion? No. <laughs> I just yell at people every time they want to. Oh, I say, to I'm not available. <laughs> no, there's an app called Motion where you feed your work hours into it and your tasks that you have to do, and it arranges them for you and then rearranges them when people schedule meetings. Oh. It, 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 it rearranges it for you because so people have access to this calendar? You can schedule and you can create multiple different. So like I'll have friends things where they'll be like, Oh, I was hoping that you could come over X, Y, Z day. And like, it's not, it feels a little unfriendshipy to be like, I'm going to need you to look at my calendar and see if there's anything on that day because I don't remember. But then they're like, that's just Saturdays and Sundays. And then if I'm doing, you know, I set up something after superstars that was, Hey, do you have any statistics questions? Here are some 15 minute slots. And I'll only book like five a week, but you can, anytime this range of time is free, you can just book one. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. That sounds pretty good. What about you two gentlemen? I say that loosely. <laughs> what about planning? 
I use an app called Agenda to manage most of my writerly tasks. And it's nice because it integrates my reminders in my calendar. You know, I feel like for me, of these 11 tips, number three here, using a planner is the most important because by nature, I'm super lazy and super disorganized. And so keeping my authorly to-dos and my tasks, my goals, my hopes and dreams all in one place and organized is the only way I can remember any of it. You still have hopes and dreams? Mm, they're written down. I don't know. I haven't looked at them in a while. I can't, oh, okay. can't confirm. Like you've taken the last few years better than the rest of them. Indeed. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Well, there's a bunch more. I'm tired of reading this. Okay. <laughs> Bad Redhead Media is in the show notes. Let's get away from this thing. I'm too tired to read the rest of that. All right. (laughs) Story number five. I don't know if I've asked you guys this. I think I've asked you different iterations of this question, but I don't think I've ever really asked you what your favorite book is. I've asked you, what's the best thing you've read recently? What's the book you hate? Stuff like that. But what's your favorite book? If they have to put your favorite book in a time capsule, what would it be? It's a tough one. Mine is Amazonia by James Rollins. Amazonia. Okay, I got it. That's it's where fiction. it's my favorite because it's not only a great book, but it's the one that really inspired my writing career initially early on. It's a little okay. special place in my heart. But I would probably say my favorite book ever is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Great. A lot of people like to shit on, but fuck you. It's a great book. Straight, straight nonfiction gangster, huh? The Four <laughs> Agreements. Okay, right on. Pippa, what about you? I'd say it's a toss-up because they're both they're very different books. One is Beauty by Robin McKinley, so it's a retelling of the Beauty and the Beast story, and it's mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it counts as middle grade or young adult, but it is just exceptionally well-crafted in terms of how short it is. Like every time I read it, I'm just like, this is really well put together and it always makes me laugh and all of that. Or uh, Cytine by CJ Chera. Cytine, what's what's that about? It is a, so it's like massive. She won the Hugo back-to-back years, I think, for Down Below Station and one year and then Citine the next. And it's a far future world where theoretically it's a murder mystery. And she's the main character is this like crazy futuristic scientist person. And they decide to clone her because they've taken all of this data about her life and are trying to recreate all of the emotional events of her life so that they can have another one of her. (laughs) Okay. That's interesting. Very sciencey. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, all right, guys, we are about, we're about out of time. So we'll just say we're out of time. Uh, you guys got anything you want to add or amend from the day? No. Okay. Sounds good. So for all of us at author news weekly, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting's over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>